Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. It's good to be with you guys this morning. It's nice to feel the weather changing, uh, to be able to be outside a little bit. Um, <laughs> this morning we are going to continue in our series in Colossians, and we are in chapter 2, uh, verses 16 through 23 this morning. And as you guys uh, turn to there, I've got some thoughts for us to just kind of begin with. And the first one is, is this morning as you come in to worship this morning, as you come into the Sunday, as we reflect on the week, uh, the question is, is how far away from God do you kind of feel right now? Um, and maybe, maybe you feel like God is so far away from you. Maybe you feel like you are um, away from God. <laughs> but the question is, is like, how far away, what, what's the distance that we kind of feel from God this morning in our hearts and in our minds um, as we experience it? And our experiences don't always match the truth because we know the truth is that God is near. But the reality is that at times we feel this distance. We feel this distance that God is far or that we're far from God. And so this morning, just like, where would you measure that? And then the second thing is how much work in your mind would it take for you to get near to God? or to get God's attention for him to get near to you. Because I think that this is how oftentimes we think about our relationship to God, is that especially when God is far, when we feel like God is far and God is not near, or we're far from God, the immediate thing that we go to is, well, what can we do? What can we do to make God near? What can we do to make God happy? What can I do to get myself near to God? And so I would say probably this morning that we feel some type of distance and we feel some type of obligation to like make that distance smaller. And the question is, is what, what is it that you feel like you need to do? And the second question is, well, why haven't you gone and done it? And I think the reason why we haven't gone and done it is because we look at the thing that we believe that we're supposed to do to narrow that gap and we find very little joy in it. Um, it doesn't feel very life-giving. It doesn't feel very much life-bringing. And so um, we really are kind of hesitant to go and put in this work. And I think the other reason, too, is that for some of us, we have been putting in the work, and we have been trying to narrow that gap. Um, and it seemed incredibly, incredibly futile. We just, like, don't ever quite get close enough to God that we ever hoped or wished. And so at that place, at that place of kind of exhaustion, at that place of frustration, we kind of have two choices. We can give up, or we can keep pressing on into this work and hope that someday it will yield some type of results where we will find that life that we're looking for, we'll find that peace, we'll find that fulfillment that we are looking for. And I think that it is in this place of distance and of works and of trying to close that distance in relationship to Christ and relationship to God that Paul speaks to us this morning. And so if you guys are there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, we're just going to jump into the verses. Um, and so this is what the text says. Paul says to us this morning, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going, in, <laughs> going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason, by a sinuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, and it grows with the growth that is from God. 
If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Our dear Lord God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have to stop in the middle of our week and to stop in the middle of our busyness and to rest and to take you in and to become aware of your presence. God, we know that you are near and we trust that you're near. And God, I pray that we would know that, that you have done that through your son, Jesus. And God, I pray that whatever distance we perceive or feel this morning that that would go away and that we would uh, feel your presence near, that we all we'd have to do is submit and rest in you. God, we love you and we love the work that you've done for us and God, we praise you for it. In your name we pray, amen. And so in this passage, I believe that there are kind of two different lies that Paul is going about attacking. And the first one is, is this idea that a relationship with God is something to be earned. That this is the lie that is going around being taught to the people at Colossae through false teachers, is that if you want to be close to God, if you want to be near to God, you must do certain practices and certain things to prove your holiness and worthiness before him, before God is going to be able to accept you. And I think that in the back of our minds, we still struggle with that lie. In the futility of our minds, in the futility of our faith, we struggle with that. Like, <laughs> we will think about the ideas of like, well, is this happening in my life because I did these things over here? Is God punishing me? Do I need to do these things to make myself right with God? We use this term, I need to get right with God, as if it's something that we do with him, for him, to make him happy with us yet again, like he's this angry father that we need to somehow reconcile with through our own strength and our own works and our own ability. And so that's the first lie. And then the second one is attached quite to, quite close closely to it and is this idea that God is far away, that God is not near, that somehow in our frustration of him, somehow in our angering of him, he has left us. And so not only is he not near, but not only are we not in relationship with him, but he is far, far away. And so these are the lies that I believe that Paul is trying to address. And with that comes with the idea that if we're going to reconcile this, then I'm going to have to do a bunch of things that I really don't want to do, if I'm honest. Like, I'm going to have to give, to give up a bunch of stuff that I want to do. I'm going to have to enter in this life of kind of asceticism and simple living, and it just doesn't look terribly appealing. And so I think some people on the outside of the faith look at Christians and they're like, yeah, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. I don't want to have to beg a God to be near to me. I don't want to have to change my entire lifestyle to a way that is all about these rules and that I have to feel incredibly guilty when I break these rules. And I don't want to have to worry about having a God that's angry at me or possibly angry at me all the time. These are the lies that Paul is confronting. But the truth is, is that God has provided relationship to himself through his son. God has provided relationship for us through his son. And the other truth is that he is incredibly near and he desires to draw us even more near to him and give us joy and blessing and growth 
that only he can provide. And so God wants us to know that he is near. God wants us to almost like wake up from our sleep and become present to him and say, look, I was here all along. Even when you thought that you were far from me or that I was far from you, I want you to know that I was present and I was near the entire time. And so Paul begins to attack these two lies (laughs) with a warning. He begins with this warning that we see in verse 16. And this warning is, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. For these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He goes to these things that (laughs) in this time, um, in the kind of like social world around him, in these false teachers, they're carrying around many, many sub-Jewish philosophies. These ideas that new moons and Sabbaths and religious holidays and festivities were incredibly important. And that if you were to make God, if you were going to appease God and make God happy with you and be in relationship with you, you had to follow these kind of strict religious holidays. And at one point in time, these strict and religious holidays were, came from God. God mandated the people of Israel to celebrate Sabbath. He mandated the people of Israel to celebrate new moons. And he established the festivals throughout the calendar year. These things were things that God had ordained in the Old Covenant. And the reason why he ordained them, the reason why he put Sabbath in place and put these festivals in place was to create time and space where people could come together and remember what God had done for them. To draw near to the heart of God to hear from God and know that God loves them and has deep affection for them, to remember how God pulled them out of Egypt and how God had saved them and brought them into Israel and given them a new place and a new land. What happened is over time, people begin to forget the heart of God behind these practices. And they began to just dutifully do these practices. They lost the reason for the practice, and instead, (laughs) they became slaves to them. They misunderstood that the point of these practices was not designed to make God happy, because God was already pleased. God was already, his joy was already fulfilled. But instead, these practices were designed to bring joy to the people, so they might know that God is near and that God was full of love for them. But they missed it. They missed the point. And so they continue throughout history practicing these Sabbaths, these sacrifices, and to the point where God says, look, you guys just need to stop. You just need to stop. And Isaiah, he says this. He says, stop bringing me meaningless offering. Your incense are detestable to me, your new moons, your Sabbath, your convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feast, your appointed festivals, I hate them with all my being. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. You see that Israel, throughout time, they lost the point. They lost the perspective of why they enter into Sabbath, why they enter into these festivals. They lost the point that God had already done the work of creating a relationship with them. And instead, they thought the only way that we get to have a relationship with God is if we fulfill these practices. If we just check these boxes, then God might be happy with us. If we check these boxes, then maybe God will give us a good harvest. If we check these boxes, maybe God will give me a child. If I check these boxes, maybe God will have favor on me. And God's saying, no, the festival in and of itself exists because I've already had favor on you. 
I've already wanted to bless you. I've already wanted to share my heart with you. And I wonder to what degree we too have fallen like Israel. To what degree do we just come in on Sunday morning because it's Sunday morning and this is like just what we do. And so we come in Sunday morning and we see everybody and we listen to me speak and then we go out and we have dinner wherever and then we take a nap and do whatever it is that you also do on Sunday mornings and the day goes by and so we go every year, 52 weeks, time and time again, coming in, coming out, saying, man, I hope, I hope God is pleased with my attendance at church. I mean, how many of us come ready to experience God's grace? How many of us come expecting to come and worship and that worship wouldn't be just like rogue words on a screen that we just kind of like kind of drone through for two songs then three songs at the end Um, but instead that it's a place where we can engage the heart of God where we can read those words and be reminded that God is in love with us that God is near to us that God has already done the work of blessing us and being near to us through his son I think in many ways we are like Israel, even in my own heart and in my own life. I mean, how many of us read our Bibles, pray, do supper club, kind of all in an effort to meet a social standard of being a Christian than actually coming to experience the real life presence of God? I mean, what if supper club could be this place where we come together as a body and we're like, man, there is much joy because there is a diversity of people, there's a diversity of opinions, and there we find God, there we find the beauty of God. What if reading our Bible wasn't just this thing to where we could check the plan on our reading list and say, you know, we can report to our accountability people, hey, I read my Bible this week. What if it was this place where we went to the Word with some intentionality and said, where am I going to find God? Where am I going to find His love, His joy, His peace? What if prayer wasn't just this place where we went and just rambled all of our quick requests to God? You know, there's this thing in ministry um, I found myself saying quite a bit right before we do ministry, like right before we do um, worship service or right before we uh, do student ministry. It's this thing that we say all the time, um, and it's this this word that keeps coming out of my mouth. It's called pray real quick. Um, Let's pray real quick. Let's pray real quick. Um, And I think that there's kind of like this, this irreverence in this idea of like, hey, we just, we just need to pray real quick. We just need to see, uh, you know, if we can just check the box that, yeah, that we have, we've prayed. And so thus, since we've prayed, we can like kick off whatever <coughs> thing that we've done. Now, I think it's good that we start with prayer. But I think it's bad that some of my volunteers and some of the people I'm around have created it into an acronym. They call it uh, <laughs> PRQ, pray real quick. Um, you know, do we take the time in our prayer life to hear from God? Are we the ones just doing all of the talking? Do we come so we can meet intimately with Christ? Or do we come just hoping that maybe Christ will hear us, but we're not really sure, but hey, we know that we're supposed to do it. It feels compulsory, so let's let's just do it. Let's check that box. Maybe God will show up. Maybe you won't, but hey, at least we prayed. If he did, good. If not, hey, we prayed, but oh well. I mean, are you guys with me? I mean, our spiritual lives are so intimate. I mean, we come together on Sunday and we, we do this thing that is our spiritual life. We come together and we can say that we do supper club and discipleship group and we're like, oh, those parts of our lives are spiritual. But you guys got to realize our entire life is spiritual. And God is with us through all of it. And I even find myself throughout the week 
designated times that feel more spiritual or more holy than other times. In reality, the whole time is holy and the whole time is blessed. And God wants to be near and a part of all of it at all times. I think about this relationship uh, that I have with my wife, with Rebecca. Because a lot of times what we want to do is we just want to do stuff. We just want to do stuff so we can check it off and just say that we've done it and say, well, because I did this thing, I love you. And so what happens sometimes is that I'll come home from work and then I'll start working on a project. And I will work real hard on the project all night and then I'll get time to where we're supposed to go to bed. And I'm like expecting Rebecca to like feign over me. Like, wow, I'm so glad that you did this project that I wanted you to get done. I'm so glad that you did that for me. Because I'm like, hey, babe, look at, look at what I just did. Look at, I just did. Look at all this that I did for you because I love you. She's like, yeah, that's great. Like, I'm glad that you got it done. I'm glad that you got but But you know what I really wanted tonight? I really just wanted you to be with me. She's like, you could have done that project some other time. What I really wanted was you to just be with me. And then there's also times in my marriage where it goes the other way around, where Rebecca will be like compulsory cleaning the kitchen. She has this kind of idea in her mind that she's got to prove herself to be this wife. And I'm like, Rebecca, you don't have to clean. You don't have, like the kitchen can stay a mess for a night. She's like, no, no, no. I've got to get it done. I've got, got to get it done. I'm like, but, but it's okay. Like, can I help? And she's like, no, no, no. I don't need to help. I'll just, I'll just get it done. And then I'll come to bed and I won't even say thanks for cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> like, it's probably not good. But I'll, and I'll be kind of down and mopey. And she's like, what's the matter? I'm like, I really just wanted to spend time with you. But you had to get the kitchen done. You had to get the kitchen clean. She's like, yeah, yeah. And so, see, in this marriage, both her and I were guilty of this. We're doers. We want to get stuff done. And we want to find value in the things that we get done because that's the way the world around us operates. But that's not necessarily how relationships work. Relationships don't necessarily work in what we can do for one another, what we can get done for one another. What I find is that at the center of relationships, where there's joy, where there's life, where there's meaning, is this place where we just get to be together where we just get to hang out, where we just get to enjoy one another's space. And so in this passage, I don't think that Paul is necessarily against practicing various practices. He's not against prayer. He's not against Bible reading. He's not against coming to church. But what he's against is just doing the practice just so we can say that we did the practice to say, like, look, God, I loved you. What he wants is he wants for us to enter into these practices and find presence with him. And I think all too often we fall incredibly short. We come to church and we do the church thing and we're like, all right, did church, or we do the worship thing, or we say our prayers, our prayer real quick. And in nowhere in any of those things we say, look at all these spiritual things that I did, but in nowhere in there in any of those things did we ever meet intimately with Christ, where we never with him. And was he never really with us? I think the other reason why we go to works and try and get stuff done is just we want to appear to have it all together. We want to appear to be spiritual. If we look at the people of Colossae, Paul warns them, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, and going on details about visions puffed up without reason in a sensuous mind. What Paul is saying is don't get caught up in these man-made practices that have the appearance of holiness. Because in this time, the idea is that if you got to worship angels or if you saw a vision, 
you were more blessed, you were closer to God, and you were more holy than those who didn't worship the angels and didn't see visions. That you were more chosen, that you were more holy. And sometimes I think we fill our lives with practices that make us feel self-righteous, make us sleep at night because we prayed real quick. And instead, God's saying, stop trying to pretend to be holy, but instead come to me because I've already made you holy. You don't have to keep doing this. You don't have to keep trying to prove yourself to me. But instead, come to me and let me make you holy. But sometimes, I think it's easier in our lives to just do things than it is to accept the gift and the holiness that comes from God. I think it's easier to pray real quick sometimes than it is to sit and really digest and accept what it is to receive the free gift of amazing grace that comes from Christ. And you know how I know this? It's because as a culture and as a society, we have a really hard time (laughs) receiving gifts. We have a really hard time receiving gifts, especially gifts that we don't deserve. I mean, there's this kind of like societal um, manner among us that like if somebody's going to offer something to you for free, especially if it's something that like you know has great value, like to be polite, you're just going to refuse it the first time. Be like, hey, can I go do this for you? No. No. Hey, can I give this to you? No, it's all right. Be like, no, I really want you to have it. And you're like, well, maybe. No, 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 I really, I really want to do this for you. And you kind of like awkwardly say, okay. And at this point, like the person that wants to do it for you, they're kind of tired, right? Because like they wanted to do it for you the first time, and now it's the third time. And it's just like, come on, I am trying to bless you. I am trying to give you this thing that I know will give you life and will give you joy. What are you sitting on your hands about? And you're sitting there like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm worth it. I don't know if I'm worth it. But the thing is, is that that person offering this free thing to you, in their mind, you're already worth it. In your mind, you're you're already there. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to sell anything. You don't have to give them any money. Because in their mind, they've already counted the cost. They've counted your worth. And they're saying, hey, I want to give this thing to you. No cost. And we need to learn to accept it as free. You know the only thing that Americans get really excited about receiving for free is T-shirts. We get jacked about T-shirts. You go to any sporting event, that T-shirt cannon comes out, man. Everybody on their feet. People will steal from children those free T-shirts with no shame. They'll be like, yep, got my T-shirt. Got my T-shirt. So much pride, so much joy, so much life. But when it comes to receiving other things, we struggle. We struggle to say, yep, I will take this thing. I will take this thing that you are wanting to bless me with. And this is where the God who says, stop it, also says this. He says, a couple of verses later, he says, in Isaiah, he says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fathers. Plead for the widow. He's saying if you want something to do, stop doing all these practices that you think is holy and start doing these things. Seeking justice. Defending the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fathers. 
pleas for the widow's cause. He says, come, now let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Let's settle this whole problem of worth and worthlessness. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And it's through Jesus that this act is done. It's through Christ coming and dying on the cross and walking through Jerusalem that he comes and settles the matter between him us and him. He settles it. And he says, guess what, guys? I find in you that you are worthy. You don't have to pay me. You don't have to prove. You can just stop. I found you worthy of my son. I found you worthy of the sacrifice. And so it's here this morning where God wants you to know the free gift that he has given us and the freedom of his son. And he wants you to know that he is incredibly, incredibly near. And that he desires to bring growth that only he can. I love it in this verse. I love it in this verse where he says that he is going to bring <coughs> nutrition. And let's see, it says that the whole body is nourished through him and it's knitted together through joints and ligaments and it grows a growth that is from God. It's a growth that grows that is from God. God wants to grow us. in him, in the, only, in the only way that he can. The problem is that for far too long, we've seen the spiritual life as one that we are in control of. It's one where we are able to bring any type of spiritual growth and renewal in our life. It has to be on us. We see this in Paul's wording of, do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. And this is what happens when we are in control of our own spiritual life when we are in control of our own spiritual transformation is that we start making a bunch of rules and we suck the life right out of it. We just say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Oh, you're thinking about doing that? Probably not because you might end up doing that. So don't do that, don't touch that, don't go over there. I mean, no wonder the spiritual life feels like death. We've sucked all the life out of it. No wonder that there's no growth. I mean, we are human beings, we're built complex. We're not robots. But if you were to look at the spiritual life that many of us think that we have to live to please God, that's what it looks like. This programmed, do this, don't do this. Check this box, check this box over here. As long as you, if you can check both columns of do's and don'ts, great. The better it is. But the reality is that God has created a world full of pleasure. Full of pleasure and joy. The problem is that it's just that us timid Christians, we are afraid to walk in those pleasures. And I think the reason why we're afraid to walk in the pleasures of this life and of this world is because as we look at the culture around us, the word pleasure has kind of had the strong connotation of indulgence, of lust and of greed and of death. I mean, we live in a society where you could describe it in one word, and that word is binge. I mean, we binge eat, we binge watch, we binge drink, we binge sleep. I mean, we try to show throughout the week some form of restraint. Monday through Friday, like, 
we try and live these restrained lives. I mean, even my neighbors will talk about like, they're like, yeah, I don't drink during the week. But man, the weekend comes and all bets are off. As soon as we have a moment of extended free time, man, we're binging whatever it is. You go on vacation, you're like, it doesn't matter, we're on vacation. Buy that and buy that and I'll have one of those. And this is where we see the wisdom that Paul says that, look, this, this idea of do not touch, do not do, do not do, like, eventually it's going to boil over. And it's not actually going to prevent you from indulging in any of your fleshly desires. Instead, it's going to boil over and you're going to end up just binging in all of it. And so what happens is that our spiritual practices alone, our ideas of if I just do these things, then I'm going to be okay. If I just check these boxes, then I'm going to be okay. What ends up happening is that we end up further away from God. We end up further away from what God desires for us. We end up binging on all of these different things. We end up not making any progress. And we end up exhausted. And we end up frustrated. And we end up tired. And we end up wondering, where is the life that I was promised? Where is the life that I was supposed to find in Christ? Because it feels so empty. And this is where God wants to say, look at this world and see that I have called it good. Look at this world and know that I have put things in you for you to enjoy, like the sunset and the changing of the seasons. And that it is okay for you to enjoy your family. And it is okay for you to enjoy your work. And it is okay for you to enjoy your finances. The difference between pleasure and indulgence is that one is self-centered and one is all-consuming. It will consume you as you consume it. But the other one about pleasure, it's something about life being shared. It's about life being shared. It's about God sharing with us, and it's about us sharing what God has shared with us to other people. And so the question is, if you're wondering, is this pleasure that I have, am I indulging in it, or am I enjoying it as God intended? You just have to ask, am I using it to serve my own purposes, or am I using it to share with others? And spread with others. Because God, that's what God wants to do with us. That's what God wants to lead us to. He wants to move us from people that have been discontented with God's pleasures and God's creation. He wants to move us towards this place of being cultivators. Cultivators of relationships. Cultivators of his life and his joy. I believe that we're in a place where we need to reclaim pleasure in our society. And we need to start pointing out things that are good, things that are healthy, things that bring life. Because we live in a world that doesn't know where life is. They live restrained five days a week, and then they let it all go two days of the week just to come back into Monday to try and rein it all in again. They don't know what's good. They don't know what's bad. They just know what they're not trying to do during the week, and they know what they're doing on the weekend. We need to be a people that have an entire life that, that lives holistically that says, look, there's goodness everywhere. And you don't have to consume it. You don't have to indulge in it to love it, to enjoy it. Instead, what you need to do is you need to share it. And so my challenge for us this week is to understand that God is near, even though he might feel far away. 
to understand that there is nothing we can do to earn a relationship with him, but he's done all the work on the front end, especially as we come to this weekend of Good Friday and of the resurrection where Christ paid for it all, where Christ did it all. Know that God is incredibly near. And know that God has brought incredible pleasure into your life for you to enjoy, for you to share with others. And so as we think about our practices, as we think about our spiritual practices, as we think about heading into worship next, I want us to see this worship not as just some rogue droning that we have to get through three songs before we can talk to our friends again and figure out where we're going to go to dinner. What I want us to see is that this is an opportunity for us to engage intimately with God, to engage intimately with the Son. What I want us to do is, as we go out this week, I want us to think about intentional times of prayer, intentional times where we pick up Scripture, where it's not just reading Scripture for the sake of saying, yep, I checked the box, but I want it to be a place where we can intimately connect with God. Because it's in those places, it's in those places of taking spiritual intentionality to be near to him, to be present to him, is where we're going to be able to find more and more pleasure in this life. And the more and more pleasure we find, the less discontentment we're going to have. And the less discontentment we have, the less likely we are going to go and binge on something that we hope to bring us life. And so my hope this morning is that we would put off these practices just for the sake of doing them, but that we would come near to God, and that we would know his good pleasure that he has for us, to know that we are worthy, that we are chosen, that he's done the work for us. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have to get into your word. And God, I pray that you would transform us. I pray that we would let go of trying to transform ourselves that we would let go of these ideas of do not touch, do not taste. But God, that we would let you come in and bring healing to our lives where we need healing, because we do. There are things that we do not need to touch anymore. There are things that we do not need to taste anymore. But God, we are not going to get there on our own. Instead, what we need to touch and taste and experience is you. And God, I pray that you would be incredibly near, that you would give us a hunger this week, to get into your word, that you'd give us a hunger this week to pray and to sit in silence with you, that you'd give us a hunger to get in community with people. Pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear the good things that you've put into this world, and that we'd begin to share those things with others, that we would share laughs, that we would share life, that we would share joy. God, we need you in our lives, and I pray that you just <laughs> create a a week of spiritual renewal as we move towards the resurrection, as we move towards remembering the incredible work, the miraculous work that you did through your Son. God, we love you and we freely accept the work that you've done. We are incredibly thankful. In your name we pray. Amen.